Hi, everyone, and welcome to INV Unfiltered, uh, the podcast on what's new and intriguing in fintech and beyond. Uh, This podcast comes from INV Fintech, the uh, fintech accelerator, which is run in partnership with Fiserv, the global banking technology company, and eight banks, uh, which include U.S. Bank and BB&T. I'm JJ Hornblass, uh, your host and the principal of INV Fintech, um, and uh, want to encourage you to learn more about INV Fintech at INVFintech.com. And also, before we get to our guest uh, today, I want to urge you to attend Bank Innovation 2017 on March 6-7 in Silicon Valley. INV is a participant in Bank Innovation 2017, uh, where speakers from JPMorgan Chase, Facebook, U.S. Bank, and Venrock, among other great companies, will be presenting, and you can get full details on that at bankinnovation.info. As always, episodes of INV Unfiltered will be posted at invunfiltered.com, and I'd always love to hear from you. Uh, my email is hornblass, H-O-R-N-B-L-A-S-S, at invglobal.co. Our goal here at INV Unfiltered is to welcome enlightened and thought-provoking guests from across the tech and financial world world to talk about key fintech issues and opportunities. And our guest for this episode is no different. Mark Smarsley is the founder and CEO of HipPocket, a fintech lead gen company founded in 2013. Mark is a former deluxe uh, BizDev executive, and he's also worked at Haberfeld Associates, which provides uh, customer acquisition services to, the, to financial institutions. He is an INV FinTech mentor, so we're fortunate to have the opportunity to work with him regularly. He's also a proud native of the Lincoln, Nebraska area, so if you're uh, visiting town there, look him up, I'm sure. He knows all the right bars for the Nebraska winter. Mark, welcome to the podcast. Awesome. Thank you so much, JJ. Happy to be here. Great, great. So let's just start with um, a little update on Hip Pocket, what you guys have been up to uh, for the last uh, six months or so. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, as you mentioned, you know, our, our roots were on lead gen for banks, so we had started down the path to um, kind of help digitize consultative sales for banks and credit unions. And that was you know, our genesis back in 2014, 2015. But about maybe a year ago, we started looking more at you know, the consumer's real problem when it comes to saving money, debt, and banking. Because while you know, lead gen is a problem for banks, we, we want to help our bank partners engage more conversations the biggest pain point in the industry is always on the consumer side. You know, how do we help them stop living paycheck to paycheck, get more money for savings? So we just started interviewing millennials um, with an idea that, you know, like, like where are their gaps in the market when it comes to technology and consumer behavior? And that led us to develop an idea for a new app, which was actually more direct to consumer. So it's, you know, more on the disruptive side versus on the partner side. And that's hit money. And this summer we launched a Kickstarter to kind of test the marketing message and the price point because we were going down the path to say, hey, you know, like if you want to enable a different outcome with your money, you probably can't just accept everything for free. So we actually charge consumers for the benefit of hit money 
And the Kickstarter was a great way to kind of test that. And we met our goal, raised 21000 became a top 50 app, and are now pushing that app into market right now and have the honor of going to South by Southwest here in about two and a half weeks to demo as one of the top five FinTech payment companies in the U.S. So the, the whole notion of kind of the consumer app, uh, the general conventional wisdom around that is super expensive to get users, just hard slog through the mud. Um, what's your experience been or what's it been like since the, the Kickstarter, which, by the way, was a, was a really cool way to do it? <laughs> yeah, thanks. I appreciate that. Yeah, we, we had some fun. You know, when we took – so, again, you know, my background was always with partnering with banks. And we, we started going down that path because, you know, as, as we were talking this morning about, you know, some of the new stuff in the New York Times article about, you know, FinTech, a lot of times you do have to partner with the bank to get that distribution. So we used the Kickstarter to kind of test, you know, can we get a viral component? Can we get people to refer the app? Because that's the only way to really drive down the acquisition costs. Um, and we, while we got some of that, the most interesting thing that we had was a couple of um, corporations approach us about paying for the app for their employees and then kind of, you know, wrapping that into the financial wellness benefit space and encouraging engagement among the employees, giving them some chance to, like, compete against each other. And that became our kind of B2B to C strategy that we're pursuing now. And we've got seven organizations already signed um, to offer that, and they average about 150 employees per. So that's, that's been kind of our, our way to get around that whole, like you said, the expense of a B2C is to look for that B2B to C path. And the employer, they can sign a contract with us after just one meeting, whereas when we used to sell the banks and credit unions, now that's a year-long process. Yeah. What are they uh, – I mean, this kind of direct B, B to B to C, uh, as you're, you're describing it, uh, seems like it's coming up uh, more frequently now among uh, fintech startups. Are you also seeing that? Yeah, I mean, I, I would agree with Aaron. I think it's a, kind of the, the nature of having to be adaptive to what's going on. So, you know, if, if as you said and as we experienced it, the B to C route is really expensive, the B to B route is really time-intensive, you know, where's the middle ground? As a, as a startup, you know, you've got to be relatively nimble if you're raising, you know, rounds for 12 to 18 months and it's a 12-month sales cycle. Well, you've got about six months to hit that hard and another six months for that to come to fruition. And if it doesn't, you've only got six months left to runway. So what are you going to do? So I think it's just, like I said, the nature of the beast is to be nimble enough to see what the feedback is and then aggressive enough to pursue this new opportunity to generate revenue because if you can't become self-sustaining, I mean, that's, maybe it's a Midwest thing, but we're always about, you know, revenue first. How do you get your business model down versus going to customer acquisition and burning through cash with the hope that you'll figure out monetization later? To me, that, right. that has always made zero sense. And yet, you know, there's another article in the New York Times about Robinhood. Um, you know, that zero, that zero cost model, like, is it just to get acquired or, or what? And that, to me, it, it doesn't make sense, and, and we can't live like that. Um, just based on how we're structured as a company because we just don't believe in that. Right. Is there, when you're doing the kind of B to B to C uh, model, so what, what are some of the, I, I understand that it's a shorter sales cycle. I get that. Um, mm -hmm. But what are they, what are the obstacles? What are the hurdles uh, to closing those deals that you've seen? Yeah, it's not so much, I guess I said obstacles. The, sa the same challenge for us is going to be distribution. Like, so while we're out there selling corporation to corporation to kind of test out that thing, like the model, 
when we get to like 15 corporations, you know, we've already been having conversations now with like larger benefit brokers or benefit providers. So those who are in the health, um, you know, corporation like like corporate health environments or 401k, because they've got distribution like crazy in that they work with let's say 10,000 companies. And so we're not going to build a whole sales culture where we're dunking these deals one at a time. We're getting them committed now and launched so that we can then say, hey, look at this model. White label this app, you know, is somebody like a, a Vanguard or Emeritus or, you know, some, again, somebody who's got a lot of other employer be- employee benefits and just slip it under there to get distribution. And again, that's why we talked about FinTech's partnering with banks is banks have distribution in spades. They talking to those larger enterprises, I, I can't imagine that the sales cycle doesn't just extend out pretty dramatically from the 60 minutes that you've experienced with the seven <laughs> clients you have right now. Yeah. So wh- yeah. what's that like? What's that like working, yeah, well, the, you know, pitching a Vanguard or whomever? Yeah. Well, the good thing is, is that the, the conversations we've already started, um, you know, time means everything in the startup. And they've, they've indicated that, you know, we're, we're getting lots of inquiries from employers asking about financial wellness benefits. And that's mm-hmm. one of the fastest growing benefits right now. So this is kind of a, again, a serendipitous thing is that the timing has at least indicated to us initially that this is the perfect time for us to walk into these meetings and say, like, hey, we've got this thing. We've proven we can sell it. Here's the data behind how it's going to work, why it's going to work. And they're already hearing requests for this. So we're not having to convince them this is a good idea. And that's the most important thing is if I have to convince somebody that this is, you know, like a a thing for them to do or, or a benefit to offer, then you have to sell that and then you have to sell why this is the best one of those. That's a two-pronged sales cycle. Right now, we're hitting a good timing where they're saying, we're already getting requests for this, and yours seems to be fun and innovative, etc. How can we work together? So it's already, the, the conversation's already been expedited some way. I have no doubt it'll still take six to nine months to get these larger partnerships inked, but we've got enough stuff going on right now with the, with the individual deals and the other stuff we have going on to, to wait that time period out. Just to talk about a little bit about the the current clients that um, what I'm I'm interested in is is the usage rate. Are you seeing or are the is the usage rate of the app um, meeting your expectations, or to what degree have you been able to um, push that up a bit um, over yeah, well, uh, in recent time? Yeah. Yep, yep. Well, as I indicated, we're we're launching live this week. So right now, like the first wave will be the Kickstarter. Um, component where the people had paid for the, you know, essentially the privilege to be our beta group, which is fantastic. Um, so we know we have an engaged customer segment there. The challenge with the corporations, as kind of you indicated, is that you know the employer is paying for the app as an employee benefit for all. So how do we incentivize those actions within the app among the employee base? Is several things. We're working with the employer to offer incentives. So you know, pay this month's incentive. Everyone who downloads it is also entered in a win. Tax. And we're helping the corporations run those outside of the app because we don't want to trigger any kind of lottery-based savings laws, although Nebraska is a, um, has legislation around that, a price-based savings, so we're fine there. But having Yet another free, reason why Nebraska is amazing, Mark. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Forefront of FinTech, baby. It is. Right. This is like the, I consider this to be the Midwest FinTech hub. You got um, it. And then, so, yeah, so, so and, the, and the employers, they're already doing this stuff with um, engaging the employees like in the health and wellness challenges, you know, like the take the scare challenge or the push-up challenges. 
so we're hitting these corporations and they're saying, oh yeah, we're, we're already doing certain sort of like friendly competitive stuff in this space or like a chili cook-off or whatever. So it kind of fits into that model where we're providing something that can have a nice fun component to it. And the last thing I'll say about this, and you'll see this at South by Southwest if you follow us at Hit Money app on Twitter, is that we had during the Kickstarter uh, this little T-Rex logo. And the idea was is that even if you've got tiny arms and only three fingers and, <laughs> and you're somewhat, you know, you have a di dinosaur brain, you can still save money with the Hit Money app. It's that, it's that easy. And one of these corporations had seen that and they said, hey, have you ever seen those inflatable T-Rex costumes? <laughs> Could you get one of those and come in with one of those like huge giant checks for the first winner? And we're like, absolutely. Like this to us is the core of like, how do we create excitement? Mark, you going to be in the costume? I, Are you going to well, be in the costume, costume, Mark? I'm doing the costume. Of course, I'm going to do the costume. <laughs> I would never ask any employee to do something I would not be willing to do. And that is why you're I'm a great CEO. <laughs> yep, I can even. I'll send you a picture of it because we've got a big, big shirt for it that says "Hip" on it. I'll send you some stuff. You can put it in the in the net program notes. Um, but we've had requests like we'll we'll be walking down the street. I'm wearing a shirt right now uh, mm -hmm. with this dinosaur, this T-Rex with a little T-shirt on that says "Hip," and we get requests like, "Where can I buy that? Did you buy that at like Urban Outfitters?" And we're like, yes, this is exactly what we want is a brand where people are asking about the shirt. So we're going to do stuff. We're going to come in in that dinosaur thing. We're going to be at South by Southwest in that dinosaur thing, riding around Austin on a bike, doing stuff. To, again, money is inherently emotional, but usually negatively so. How do you, how do you make it fun? And that's a big part of like that whole process is that simple, easy fun from your phone. And if we can accentuate that with this big, huge, eight-foot-tall inflatable T-Rex, to make it very visible and visceral, damn straight we're going to do that. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know, you once you once said um, you once said the following. We want this is about hip pocket. You once said we want to force. This is a couple of years ago. We want to yep. force uh, banks to care more about people than profit. We want to inspire people to no longer settle for the status quo. Do you still feel that way? Or why, why not? How has your kind of thinking changed about the role of hip pocket in the financial world? Yeah, no, I still believe that. I mean, again, getting closer to the consumer and their problems is how you enact real change in the industry. And, you know, we, we talk about this here. Like, I think banks have kind of been kind of slow going to that. They all care about the individual customer. Customer walks in the, into the branch. The banker will trip over themselves to do what's right for the customer, whether that's helping them figure out if they should refinance the mortgage that the bank holds now and thus get the bank a lower return, that's totally fine. The banker's responsibility is to the customer. The problem becomes an aggregate when the customer becomes a number. So I sold into the boardrooms and we're talking about customers as numbers. And when we tweak our NSF fee up this much, we create this sort of process to get them to opt in or whatever, they're all numbers and then the numbers hit the bottom line and that's you know, good for the shareholders. So the problem then becomes in how do we always keep the individual customer, Tammy, Tim, David, Maria, whoever, at the forefront of our mind as an industry? Because if we can do that, then we can change how banks operate, but profits are back to all-time highs. Do banks have a pain incentive to change their model? I'd say right now, no. It's a long-tail decision. They've got to get ahead of it. So I think we're, we're still a part of that. We, had, you know, we did the Kickstarter campaign. It was very anti-bank, especially anti-state banks. The most interesting thing that happened with one of the top, I'll say like top 20 banks in the world, 
I don't want to give up too much, but they approached us and really wanted to potentially partner with us um, on something. And we're still, it's not dead, but it's certainly not going fast. But they indicated that they saw it, and they're not offended by it. They want to learn from it and figure out how do we work together. So we'll see more of that in the future, I'm sure of it. But again, if the pain, if the profit pain isn't there, they're not just increasing profits and having to figure out a way to fix that, then their motivation to partner quickly is just not there. So we're probably another couple of years away from really a lot more fintech stuff, especially downstream at the community bank level in that one to like, let's say, 10 billion asset range. That's still a ways away. So if you had to kind of put on your INV fintech mentor hat on and mm-hmm. What, you know, what advice would you give to young fintech entrepreneurs if that's sort of the lay of the land um, mm-hmm. yep. as you see it? Yep, yep, absolutely. So you're really looking for, I mean, if you look at the, the early adopter kind of you know, curve models, you're looking for the top 1% of banks and credit unions who are truly innovative. And they're not, they're not going to follow any sort of like asset size metrics or whatever. I mean, you're really looking for some needles and haystacks. So you've got to like research and find the ones that are doing stuff. Like I think that's the great thing about you know the accelerator, the INV accelerator, is that Fiserv and you all have identified. Oh, here's eight banks, all different asset sizes, who are indicating that they've got their hand raised to hear and test new stuff. When we first launched our very first app, we had a contract with a three billion dollar bank before we ever even wrote a line of code. We just we said like, hey, here's what the app's going to look like. Here's how it will integrate. We've talked to your mortgage officers. We've talked to your customers. Here's why this is all good. And before we even got to price point, the CMO said, stop talking, we're in. It's really hard to find them. You have to do due diligence. You cannot just spray and pray and hope that your marketing material ends up with the right one. You've got to cultivate relationships, identify those early movers, and then really find them at the right time with the easiest way to test something. So banks always think enterprise scale, like how do we scale this to our 100, 200,000 customers? You've got to figure out a way to launch it with, 50 to 500 to 1,000 customers and make the pilot as seamless and easy to implement as possible. Those are my two big advices. So I'm guessing that after this uh, launch period, um, you're going to probably look to raise another round, I would think, Mark? Is that (laughs) sort of your timing? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So we're still, you know, like it's new going to market. That data will justify the next round. So really it's about getting that data incentivizing, making tweaks to the, to the app, et cetera. It's really say like, hey, we're saving an X number of people this. Here's our engagement rates, et cetera. That will justify right. the next round, absolutely. Right. And, um, and what, are you hoping, uh, what do you think you'll, you'll get out of uh, South by Southwest? What are you expecting there? Yeah, well, for us, you know, it's an ideal demographic. You've got young, tech-savvy people, um, you know, hip. I mean, there, there's, it's no, there's no uh, irony around the name hip money. We want to make money hip and fun. So we want to engage people that you know, are hip and fun, et cetera, early adopters. So we're looking to get, obviously, more sign-ups. That, you know, we're, we're walking around that T-Rex outfit to actually like, you know, have people download the app and pay for it right there. Uh, but also you know, exposure from you know, press, and press doesn't necessarily get you downloads, but it would be nice to get some more visibility because the Midwest is a little bit harder from press standpoint to get a lot of coverage. And the last thing is, of course, investors. So you know, we're launching, collecting the data, to prepare for the next round, and we know those investors are going to be there. And the wild card would be banks. You know, we've seen BBVA will be there, Capital One, a couple others. Again, we're, we never said, you know, 
you know, we did say, I guess we did say, screw the, screw the banks. They only care about money in the, in the Kickstarter. But the real thing is, is screw the banks that aren't willing to do something different. They aren't willing to proactively help the customer. And that's not every bank, but hopefully the right ones will also be there, and maybe we'll, we'll spark some conversations. What's uh, just final question for you, Mark? Uh, what's on your yeah. um, your product roadmap for the next? I don't know, six, twelve months, something like that. Um, the biggest thing that we've already been getting requests for, and that it'll be pretty easy to add on there, is the Roundup feature. So you know, I mean, we we have the app download to the phone, connect to the checking account, and then we analyze essentially cash flow to make a personalized recommendation of what the consumer should save today. Then they can set up their goal-based buckets, and then we show them the power. You know, if they move that money to retirement or to pay down student loans or whatever, we're showing them the future forecast of that amount, and then allowing them to swipe it, get it out of the checking account, deposit it with our bank partner, etc. But the biggest thing we've already we heard for, uh, from our customer base is that you know, can we just round up those transactions? So 4.44 spent at the drugstore triggers a 56 cent you know pullover, and that goes directly into paying down student loans. So that'll be pretty easy for us to add, and that's our that's the most definite thing on our product roadmap right now. Sounds cool, Mark. Uh, yep. Thanks. Thanks for spending time today. Appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Thanks for having uh, me. Yeah. No, my pleasure. Uh, uh, great thanks to Mark for for being with us on this episode. Uh, everyone, please uh, stay tuned to INVUnfiltered.com for more great podcasts, and we hope to see you in Silicon Valley at Bank Innovation 2017. Until next time, uh, keep innovating and keep it unfiltered.